we're gonna do this. We gotta do this because it's gonna take long. Okay. Um, so the story of Bloodborne and what the heck is going on in this game. I do have to say that like what solidifies this for me is actually playing the game and actually yeah. like understanding some of the locales and the characters and things like that. So, I mean, like this is going to be obviously heavy on the spoilers because I'm explaining the game. Um, although we talked about last episode, this is all stuff that you don't really have to know in order to play the game. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I certainly didn't know 95% of it when I played through the entire game. Um, and I say entire, there's lots of the game that I missed too. So that's fun. Um, but that said, uh, we're, yeah, we're just, we're just going to be knee deep in all this stuff. So, um, the story is very vague and it is difficult to kind of parse out because of the way that this game, um, tells you its story is not direct. It is extremely indirect. Um, and there's lots of information that seems even conflicting. So it's, it's hard to kind of parse through. Um, but the internet is very helpful in, in prevailing theories and and sending that out into the world. And so I have kind of like pulled in as much as I can in the short amount of time, you know, in the past like week or so that I've been looking into this and, you know, I'm sure next week or by the time this actually air, well, no, this is airing in just a few days. Um, but I'm sure like by the next episode recording, I'll already be shaking my head and saying that, Oh, that Josh was an idiot for thinking that, but it doesn't matter. Um, the other thing, that's what I was going to say. The other thing about this story is that it is, uh, it tends toward the cosmic horror genre, the Lovecraftian kind of horror. And so um, a lot of it has to do with madness. And so things like time and space are kind of malleable in this world because uh, it doesn't all have to make sense because like it's built around the idea that humanity can't actually understand what's going on in the cosmos as a whole. Um, And that understanding actually makes you go crazy. So this is my interpretation of what I've I've found from Bloodborne. Um, and I did mention earlier, I don't remember if it was kept in here or not for, for this portion of the of this episode, um, but I'm not going to be able to get into everything. There are lots of little side stories that I've just completely cut out. I'm not going to go into it for this episode um, because I'm really focused on just kind of the, the, the basic story and uh, where it comes from. So the game, the... the like kind of the main plot points of the game as well as the DLC because it it feeds heavily into a lot of the characters um, as well. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. There's tons of really cool side stories. There's an entire area called Canehurst that has a different kind of blood um, that somewhat, it affects some of the characters. I'm not going to go into it at all um, because it doesn't pertain to kind of the main story itself. Um, so, uh, yeah, tons of spoilers that we're going to be going through, although it doesn't really mean much. Um, I would recommend that you play the game regardless. Um, but if you don't want story spoilers, then you're going to have to just turn the podcast off because this is all story spoilers. That's literally what it is. Um, so the game itself, it starts in media res. Um, but the way that I'm going to explain this, um, because I'm trying to kind of set up the story, like explain the story. Uh, I'm not going to give it to you in the same order that the game goes in. I'm going to have a lot of backstory. A big chunk of this is actually going to be backstory. So um, I'm just going for a way in which you can understand what's going on, not necessarily uh, the way that the game gives it to you. Excuse me. 
Okay, so the game opens up and you are, you create your character and your character is traveling to a city called Yarnum. Um, and you're traveling there for, to, to be healed of some sort of sickness. You hear that in Yarnum, um, they, they can heal whatever ails you. So your character has some ailment. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, and you're traveling or you travel to Yarnum because the game opens and you're already there. Um, and there's another character that gives you a blood transfusion in order to become a hunter. Uh, so when he gives you this transfusion of this Yarnamite blood, um, he says that, you know, this, this, you're going to have some, basically he says, you're going to have some trippy dreams. Um, some stuff's going to be real, but you don't have, or it's not going to be real. So you don't have to worry about it. So it already starts off and it says like, Hey, this game could all be a dream. You don't know. Maybe the story might not all be real. Although later in the game, it does kind of come to light that dreams and nightmares are, different planes of existence. They're not, um, it, it, it's not that some are real and some are fake. It's that they are all happening at the same time on top of each other. And you might not be able to, to even see it. So there's a whole other like dimension of, Oh, what does he mean by this? We're not going to go into it. He just, he just tells you that this is, you know, you're going to have some weird dreams. So you wake up in Yarnum, the city that you traveled to during the night of the hunt. And now you're a hunter because you've been transfused with this blood to heal you. And now you've become a hunter. You sign this contract that apparently says that, okay, you're going to become a hunter if you take this transfusion. Okay, cool. So what are you hunting? Well, what, what do hunters do? They kill beasts. And beasts are people who have turned into, uh, basically that have gone crazy, that have turned into beasts. You see like werewolves and kinds of crazy stuff. These people who have turned into beasts by the old blood. Okay, so the start of the game, you have no idea what any of these things are. So let's go ahead and travel back in time to explain why people in Yarnum are turning into beasts, okay? So the city of Yarnum, it is named after um, this queen of this race of people called the Thumerians. And the Thumerians are sort of like a superhuman species, so... Uh, and the, the, you know, they're, they're not human. They're bigger than humans. They have like human qualities, but they look a lot freakier. They're elongated and they're stronger. And so like this, this superhuman race called the Thumerians, um, built a labyrinth and they lived underground. Okay. So they, they, they lived in these tunnels underground. Something happened inside these Thumerian tunnels, um, and the Thumerians, they were able to commune with the Great Ones. Um, so the Great Ones are basically like these these god creatures, these god little g god creatures that are um, that exist in a different kind of realm of uh, understanding, if if you will. So they have great powers, and and they yeah they're basically like little g gods. Okay, um, so. The these Thumerians who are communing with these great ones, some of them have ascended and become great ones themselves, and some of them were actually left behind when others ascended, but they found a way, these Thumerians found a way to turn into great ones, like to be in conversation with these great ones to find out how they can become that as well. Um, but in addition to that, yeah, some were left behind. So something went wrong there as well. And also the Thumerian labyrinth is absolutely filled with beasts. Okay. 
So there, there are these, you know, there's a Sumerian labyrinth. Uh, there's this guy named Willem who started a, a college called Bergenworth to learn about the great ones. So he goes into the Sumerian tunnels to find out what's going on. Okay. So there's a superhuman race communes with the great ones, turns into the great ones. Okay. So like, how do you do that? So Willem is interested in that. He goes down there. Now, obviously, it's filled with beasts. He can't really look around and find stuff unless he has strong fighters around him. So he gets some friends who are strong fighters, and those are the hunters. Okay? So Willem himself, he's not much of a hunter. Um, He's just a scholar. So he started this college. I'm going to look into what's going on down here because I want to be able to turn into a great one too, right? I want to be able to ascend this plane of reality, this plane of existence. I want to be more than just human. Um, I want to be just, you know, like what these Thumerians were doing. I want to figure it out. So he gathers these hunters and they start excavating what's going on down there. And there's some huge finds uh, that are down there after they beat back a bunch of the beasts. They find what's called the old blood, And so this is blood from a great one, and it has healing properties in it, right? So you get sick, you shoot up on blood from the, from this great one and Hey, it heals you. Okay. So that's, that's pretty amazing. And, uh, so the hunters start to use this blood because, Hey, it's pretty helpful when you're fighting beasts. So why not go ahead and start using this old blood to, to continue to fight back these beasts and find out what was going on here in these Sumerian labyrinths. Um, the other thing, so they find the old blood down there. They also find um, a great one who was left behind. Okay, so so she had become a great one, but all the other great ones like actually went into another plane of existence and she stayed behind. She couldn't do it. Her name is Abritus and she'll come up later. Um, so they find the old blood. They also find a great one down there. Uh, now, Willem himself is against using the old blood. He believes it, that you can only ascend through intellect, that basically like if you try and become a great one before you can actually understand, uh, you're going to go crazy. So we need to take a step back. We need to work on our intellect first. Um he says this throughout the game. He says, our eyes are yet to open. So we can't fully understand. We can't fully grasp what these great ones are. So we can't try and turn into them just yet. Let's work on ourselves a little bit first before we go, you know, do, doing anything crazy. So um, that's going on. And um, they find out that, uh, well, Bergenworth, the college itself, is built next to a little fishing town, okay? So um, in the fishing town, they worship one of these great ones. His name is Koss, okay? And it's, it's you know, basically like this fish-like great one, and they have this, this interaction with Koss. So the Bergenworth scholars find out that this little fishing hamlet uh, worships this great one. And so they send the hunters down there. They also hear that there are... Uh, some of the people who live there who are in communion with Koss have um, actually added eyes to their brains. And this is something that Willem has said, you know, this is what we need to do. Our eyes are yet to open. Okay, well, these people in the fishing hamlet, they seem to have eyes inside their brains. So they send the hunters there to basically see who has these eyes. And so they pretty much massacre the place. Okay, so so Gearman, he is the strongest of these hunters, and uh, his pupil, her name is Maria. Gearman and Maria go down, as well as some other hunters, uh, but they're kind of the two main ones that we have to you know mention right now. They go down to the fishing hamlet, 
and they start like uh, searching through everyone there and basically like ripping open their skulls and seeing, okay, who has these eyes? We need to figure out how to get this and, and bring it back. You know, the, basically if they find a skull with eyes in it, then they can take it back to Bergenworth so that they can experiment and figure out how they did this so that we can ascend, so that we can become these great ones. So these inhabitants are killed because their brains are growing eyes. Uh, It says the hunters drilled into their skulls to find these eyes as well. Um, In addition, the body of Koss, this great one, is found, and Koss is dead, but Koss was pregnant, which is kind of weird because part of the lore also says that uh, the great ones can't actually have children themselves, that they need to use surrogates. So it's a little contradictory here. But still, there's an orphan here, um, the orphan that, that came from the dead body of Koss, basically. Um, so this infers that Koss's physical form, because these great ones don't necessarily have physical forms. So Koss exists, but the physical form of Koss is dead, even though the actual great one isn't necessarily dead because it's weird and great ones live on multiple planes of existence. So uh, it's inferred that Koss was killed by these hunters who have been imbibing in blood and it actually calls them blood drunk hunters in order to go to this. This is actually the DLC. In order to get there, you need to get an item that talks about a blood drunk hunter. So basically you've imbibed enough blood of the great one and now you're you know ripping people apart and ripping into their skulls and you're so drunk on the hunt on the kill that you're just kind of killing everything in sight. So it's inferred that they actually killed, they took down Koss. I assume that Koss somehow had already been hurt, but regardless, the hunters killed Koss and Koss kind of has not quite a stillbirth, but the orphan of Koss who was not quite um, fully a great one. Well, it it was a great one, but it, you know, it's still just a little baby. It still hadn't come out um, is super pissed because you just killed it because this hunters just killed its mom and curses all of the hunters. Um, so the hunters are now cursed. Okay. They're cursed with what's called the, the hunter's nightmare. So basically when hunters die, they go to the nightmare and they have to relive the atrocities that they've done over and over and over again. So that's pretty creepy. Um, but also they're kind of cursed in general and we'll kind of see that as the story goes. Uh, so since they found this orphan of costs, They've actually taken the umbilical cord that connected the orphan of Koss and Koss's body. They take it back to Bergenworth. And um, in Bergenworth, they, they see this uh, umbilical cord and they use it, um, you know, since it's kind of connecting these two great ones, maybe it'll help connect us to the great ones as well. And uh, so Master Willem and another one of his protégés, whose name is Rom, they use it in order to turn Rom into a great one. So she's sort of a great one. Not She hasn't quite, she hasn't ascended yet, but she becomes a great one. And in a piece of the lore, it says that true enlightenment need not be shared. So Rom is not actually telling Willem how she did it, but she has become this great one, um, which she shows up in the, in the game. If you play the game, Rom is this, this spider creature who hides, um, other things that are going on. So she is hiding the knowledge of how to become a great one from Willem because, you know, she's saying like, I'm not going to share this. Like, this is something that you have to do by yourself. Uh, Also on this umbilical cord, there are eyes on it. So when she leaves Willem, when she becomes a great one, uh, Willem 
believes that he needs to line his brain with eyes in order to truly commune with the great ones and become a great one himself. Um, he also understands that ascension or, or becoming a great one is personal and uh, also that they had gone too far, like with the hunters kind of massacring this village. That, that's not okay. We need to stop this. His temperament is very cautious. And so he takes the umbilical cord and he splits it into three different pieces. So, um, you know, so that you can, so that different uh, factions can study it. But at the same time, you need to be very careful with, you know, this eldritch knowledge that we've gotten so far. Uh, so Willem is drawn to the water because Rom has now made her home inside, uh, inside the water. So, so Willem is kind of just like, well, I want to do that too. Um, and, you know, wants to line his brain with eyes. So he goes to the water. If you, if you find him in the game, he's on a rocking chair, kind of like looking at the water and pointing towards where Rom is. So that's kind of fun. Uh, so another character in Bergenworth College, his name is Lawrence. Okay, he's one of uh, uh, Willem's pupils. He disagrees with Willem. Um, he wants to use the old blood. You know, Willem's like, no, 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 no. We need to take this slowly. We need to do this, you know, cautiously. And Lawrence is like, no dude, we've got this old blood. We need to continue to use it. It's healing us. Um, this is this is the way that we're going to, by imbibing the great ones, we are going to ascend. And so there's there's a rift between Willem and Lawrence. And Lawrence leaves Bergenworth with some other students who agreed with, with basically his way of doing things. And they take the cord with them in the three different pieces. Uh, so Lauren found, Lawrence, excuse me, he decides to start his own faction. So he breaks off from Bergenworth and um, he starts what's called the Healing Church. And the Healing Church administers old blood to the people in Yarnum as a healing salve. So, so, you know, if anyone's sick in Yarnum, hey, we can give you some old blood. And so he calls his little faction the Healing Church because he's doling out this old blood in order to heal people. Um, but his true intentions, you know, breaking off from Bergenworth was to conduct, conduct more experiments without Willem's kind of like hesitancy. Um, and so blood ministration, giving out this blood to all the people was experimentation on a grand scale, right? Um, yes, he's healing people, but he's also kind of like seeing, okay, what is this going to do when I, you know, when we all take the old blood together? It's also heavily inferred that, you know, they found this old blood, but where do they continue to get it? So uh, they're, they're running experience, they're injecting it into people, you know, and then getting blood out of people in order to distribute it to other people. So there's lots of kind of nefarious things going on underneath the surface. And um, building up this healing church, there are three main factions that he creates. So there is the main kind of healing church for blood ministration that also has a couple other things that they do. Um, and uh, like it has its own hunters within the healing church. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, but then they start their own school. Uh, the second faction is the school of Mensis that's headed up by a character named Mikalash who left with Lawrence. And uh, Mikalash gets one third of the cord. Lawrence keeps one third of the cord. And uh, Mikalash continues Bergenworth's research by delving deeper into the Thumerian tunnels. So, so he's thinking we need to, you know, figure out what went on down there. He's not so much focused on using the 
blood, like the the healing churches, he's focused on the, the school of Mensis is focused on what happened in the Thumerian labyrinth down there. Um, and then the highest echelon of the healing church is referred to as the choir, and they take one third of the court as well. They set up an orphanage uh, where basically they take all the orphans from Yarnum and they run experiments on them with the help of that uh, great one that hadn't ascended, Abritus, that they found in the Thumerian Tunnel. They kind of work together. Abritus and the choir work together. They're running experiments on these orphan children. And they discover that the realm of the great ones is the sky, but that the sky is actually closer than they think. And so... Like I said at the start, like all these things are happening at the same time, just sort of like multidimensionally. Uh, they kind of layer on top of each other. We just can't see it. We just can't understand it. So they're trying to unlock um, the way in which the cosmos relates to itself, even in the same uh, the same area, like basically the multidimensional nature of the cosmos. So they run these experiments on the orphans, and they it results in a single um, what's called a celestial emissary, emissary excuse me, um, which is sort of like it's almost a great one uh, that they've created out of these orphans um, that can can basically like see into the cosmos. Um, but th- he's only created after lots of different failures, which are like these alien sort of creatures that can sort of summon the cosmos in different ways, but they're not quite great ones. So there's a lot of experimentation that's going on with the use of the um, with the umbilical cord and abritus. Like the choir's doing some pretty jacked up stuff to children <laughs> in order to bring about these these other. Uh, you know, in order to find out how to become a great one. Um, so Maria, if you remember, she was one of the hunters along with, she was Gearman's pupil. Maria goes back to the fishing hamlet where that massacre had occurred to help with the patients there because the healing church had set up more experiments that are going on there. Um, and since they're by the water, since that's where Koss was, the experiments that are going on there is they imbibe of the water and they try to create eyes in their brains using brain fluid, getting the, the water kind of into their brains. It's, it's this whole weird thing. And Maria is kind of like taking care of the patients who are being experimented on there in the fishing hamlet out of guilt because she just cannot stand the fact that, you know, she knows what the hunters have done. She knows what the healing church is doing. And so she is just weighed down by this guilt. Um, and most of the experimentations that go on in the fishing hamlet now uh, by the healing church, they're ending in what, what are called living failures. So they're trying to become celestial emissaries, but they fail. And, and like, there's a boss that you fight that's literally just called the living failures uh, because they're failed experiments. And so out of grief, Maria commits suicide. She slits her own throat. Um, I didn't mention it earlier, but even after the massacre, that had happened at the fishing hamlet, uh, Maria hangs up her weapons. Like she's not going to fight anymore because she understands like what they've done. They've, they've gone too far. So, but now she's committed suicide. Okay. So Maria's committed suicide. Well, all this old blood that the healing church has been using on the people of Yarnum starts causing people to go crazy and brings on the scourge of the beast. So that's what we talked about earlier. These people are now starting to turn into beasts Instead of ascending into great ones, 
they're they're descending into into these these crazy beasts and Yarnum is now overrun by the beasts and so the church has to scramble um and begins the hunt like we talked about at the start of the game um so he they recruit these hunters to fight these beasts um so so the healing church looks like you know to the normal Yarnumite it looks like oh they're here to help us they're healing us and now they've got this military force to to help us from these beasts that are popping up out of nowhere. Unfortunately, they don't know that it's caused by the blood that, that that's actually going on here. That's, you know, people are imbibing. Uh, so Gearman, he's, he's getting old by now. He was the best hunter that Bergenworth had, but now he's aging and he can't fight anymore. Um, he's been training, obviously his pupil, his star pupil was Maria but she just committed suicide. And so he is just racked with depression. He can't fight anymore. He can't train anyone. His best people has just committed suicide. And so he's, he feels worthless. Um, and you know, he, he's old, so he can't hunt. He, he's just out of it. And since he's of, you know, since he's not of any use any longer, he and Lawrence decide to use that last third of the umbilical cord to summon a great one. And so they're able to to use it to call out to the great ones and the moon presence comes before them. So something happens between all three of these characters, Lawrence and Gearman and the moon presence. Gearman enters into a contract to watch over what's called the hunter's dream so that he can start um, basically like training hunters again, making weapons for them, equipping them to go out. So the moon presence says, okay, you feel you know, you feel worthless. I can give you a purpose again. We can create the hunter's dream that will allow hunters when they die, if they have a contract with us, when they die, they can come back to life into the hunter's dream. You can continually outfit them with gear and send them back into out into the hunt since there are these beasts that are going on. In addition to that, um, there was a doll that Gearman made that looked just like Maria um, that he loved. So, so there's an inference that he was in love with Maria. Well, she killed herself. Um, and so the moon presence turns this doll into a sentient being as well. So Gearman and this doll are watching over the hunter's dream. Um, Lawrence is part of this pact as well even though it's not exactly clear what's going on here. Um, so after after they summon the moon presence and, and the moon presence sets up the hunter's dream, Gearman's over there. Um, then Lawrence leads the hunters into Yarnum, uh, thinking, you know, like, okay, now, now, you know, we're not going to die. Unfortunately, when he goes out into there, he succumbs to the scourge himself and becomes a beast. And so the healing church decides to just burn Yarnum to the ground. And then they close their gates to their cathedral ward. So they'll be safe and Yarnum just burns along with Lawrence. So that is all the backstory of what had happened. That, that's what the Scourge of the Beast is, right? So now you, as your main character, you show up. You're able to come back to, from the dead without fear of the Scourge itself. So, so part of that contract that you signed at the beginning of the game, you're not going to turn into a beast, even though you're using lots of blood in order to heal yourself, in order to um, you know, come back from the dead. Um, in addition to that, you can use the blood that you gain from your enemies to grow stronger through that doll that the moon presence had made become sentient. So you give it blood and it gives you more power. Um, so there's lots of side stories that go on during, like throughout the game that I 
don't really want to go into because it's not necessarily the main story. Basically, you end up going back to Bergenworth after you get out of Yarnum, and you find Willem, who directs you out into the lake. So then uh, in the lake is Rom, the, you know, sort of not quite ascended, but has turned into a great one. Um, and you kill Rom, and the moon descends, and you see a vision of Yarnum, the queen, the, the Thumerian queen, um, and she's got a bloody dress. Like it looked like she tried to give birth and, and didn't quite work out there. You got blood everywhere. Uh, so you find out that Rom was actually hiding the effects of what the school of Mensis had been doing during this time. Suddenly, now that Rom is, is gone, now that he's out of the picture, or she's out of the picture, now that you've killed Rom, you see these other great ones. You see these amygdala everywhere. They're crawling on things and other kind of grotesque beings. So, so now you're able to actually see these other planes and what has actually been going on because of what the School of Mensis is doing. So obviously, in the game, you uh, go to infiltrate the school, right? You, you need to find out what is going on in the School of Mensis. So Mikalash, the head of the School of Mensis, he knew that Rom had ascended by using the umbilical cord. And he has his third of the umbilical cord, and he's trying to call upon Koss to do the same thing for him. He knows that he needs, you know, he needs the eyes. Give us eyes. Just like just like you did with Rom, I need to reach out to Koss and I need to get my own eyes so that I can become a great one and so that we can all become great ones as well. Like humanity's done for, we're just all going to become great ones. Um, so School of Mensis, they're searching out the Thumerian labyrinth and they find the ritual that the Thumerians had actually uh, done down there. And so he's like, okay, if we can do this ritual, then we can um, you know, become great ones ourselves, just like the Thumerians had. Uh, except that the school of Mensis is like, like I've already gone into how messed up the healing church was and some of the stuff that they were doing. The school of Mensis is way worse than any of the other uh, sects of the healing church. Um, they they made these things, these little like head cages that help. It says something like it protects them from their self will or something like that. So all everyone who's in the school of Mensis has like this this weird like elongated cage over their heads. So they they look creepy, but also some of the stuff that that is going on, not necessarily within the school, but in the the city that the school uh, oversees. There's tons of people who who are into body snatching. They just steal people and bring them into uh, the school of Mensis so that there can be more experiments. Well, instead of just experiments, the school of, of uh, Mensis is actually sacrificing all these people um, in order to perform this ritual. So there is tons of human sacrifice. You see uh, blood and body parts and all that strewn all throughout the city that uh, the school of Mensis is in. And similar to the choir who's performing these, you know, the experiments on these children, uh, they show absolutely no remorse for their in their lust for power and their, you know, they're trying to be able to become these great ones. They're trying to ascend. Uh, so it doesn't matter what they have to do, and they attempt to recreate this Thumerian ritual, but they fail. So, be, so Mikalash, the head of the school of Mensis, is searching for Kos, but instead he summons the Thumerian Great One. Um, the great one that, that, you know, because it's a Sumerian ritual, he's trying to reach out to Kos. He reaches out to someone else, um, this Sumerian god called Erdin. 
Um, and Erden needs a body for his child, Murgo. So Erden is known as the formless uh, great one. He doesn't actually have a body. Um, and his child doesn't have a body all either, Murgo. Um, and Murgo was supposed to be born through Yarnum, the Thumerian queen, but the Thumerians actually failed in their ritual as well. And that's why she has that bloody dress in that vision that you see. Um, she was trying to birth Murgo, but something went wrong. So when the school of Mensis tries to perform this ritual, they fail as well. Even though they've sacrificed like all these different people, uh, it still fails and it creates what's called the nightmare of Mensis, where the entire school is sent and they, they're all driven mad by what they see in this nightmare. Um, in fact, all of their brains um, are like, they're just, they've gone completely crazy. All their brains pretty much like meld together into this, this rotting great one. Um, I, I think it's just called the brain of Mensis. So the, the school of Mensis is just like a big failure. <laughs> um, but even, even though they failed, they've created this nightmare realm and they still exist within this nightmare and they're still continuing this ritual. Um, they're, they're still, even though they're corpses within the waking world in the nightmare, they're performing this ritual. They're sacrificing people. And in order to get to the nightmare, you have to kill this boss called the One Reborn, which is a vessel that's just made up of bodies of hundreds of ritual sacrifices that Murgo was supposed to inhabit. Um, but you kill it, like you come in in the middle of the ritual and you kill it. So, okay, it's not going to have that body of bodies, that freaking weirdness. Uh, so you go into the nightmare of Mensis, you defeat Mikalash, and then you go to where Murgo is, is even though it doesn't necessarily have a body. Um, since Murgo is formless, uh, it's still watched over. Like, like you see this, um, this stroller, this carriage that Murgo, like the idea of Murgo is supposed to be in. And it's being watched over by a, what's called a wet nurse, uh, Murgo's wet nurse, which is like this huge, crazy, uh, it looks like a dementor <laughs> with tons of like swords. Um, and so it's watching over Murgo in some sense while this ritual is still being conducted to give it a body. So you kill the wet nurse and the wet nurse is actually a great one herself. So now you have just killed an actual great, not, not just like Rom, who's sort of a great one, an actual great one. You just killed it. So since you killed a great one, now you're transported back to the hunter's dream where Gearman is. And Gearman uh, tells you like, well done. You did it, man. You've, you've gone through, you, you, you've hunted like no other hunter has. I can kill you. And send you back to the waking world. So you'll no longer be tied. Like your contract is up. You're healed. We're good. Um, and the night, the hunt, the night of the hunt is going to be over if I just kill you now. So at this point, this is the end of the game. You have three choices. You can either one, accept and be killed and wake up and the sun rises on Yarnum. And now you're off on your own. The second choice is to say, no, I'm not going to let you kill me. I've just done all this other stuff. Like, no, you're not going to kill me. So German stands up. You have to fight German. And after you fight him, the moon presence comes down and makes you into the next host of the hunter's dream. It says that you're actually, uh, I can't remember the word, but you are so enthralled with the moon presence. You finally see this great one and you're so enthralled with this presence that you become its willing servant and you watch over the hunter's dream. And now you're the one. Uh, who is sending out the hunters to do this hunt that's going on when the moon descends. The third uh, ending only happens if you 
have found all three of the umbilical cords and you imbibe them all. So it's inferred that you actually eat these cords, which is weird. Um, but if you eat all three of them, then when the moon presence, when you beat Gearman, the moon presence comes down, you actually fight the moon presence and you defeat it. You kill another great one and you ascend yourself. You become another child of the great one. The doll, you become this little slug like creature. The doll picks you up and it says that you have ascended and, and you're bringing humanity with you into a new plane of existence. And that's the best ending that you can get. So that is the story of Bloodborne. My interpretation is that the moon presence is, is um, just this great one who's thirsting for blood. So like when you give your blood echoes to the doll and the doll gives you power, like the doll is basically the surrogate, the, the servant of this this other great one of the moon presence, you give your blood to the doll and uh, the moon presence gets blood out of hunters going out to hunt. Like that seems to make sense to me because he's created this hunter's dream to just continually send out these hunters. So, so he's sending out hunters. He's, he's getting blood in return and, and it's this blood that uh, came from another great one. So he's able to get all this great one blood as well. But after you've defeated a great one yourself, Murgo's wet nurse, then you'd become a threat, right? So like Gearman was the strongest hunter. And so the moon presence entered into a contract with Gearman. Now that you have killed a great one, the moon presence is like, oh, and, and now that you've killed Gearman, the moon presence is like, okay, this guy's formidable. He's the strongest hunter. I want him to be my guy now. So you can, you know, watch over the hunter's dream yourself. You can train up other hunters. Um, so basically, yeah, you, once you kill a great one, now you've become a threat. Um, your character throughout the game actually becomes more powerful through, you know, through blood, right? So he's becoming more powerful through the old blood and by eating these umbilical cords. So he's not just, he doesn't just take one of the views of these other characters. Like Lawrence was all about, okay, this old blood is going to take us to a new plane of existence. And, and Willem is like lying your brain with eyes and your character does both right? He just, he gets all the blood. He gets all the umbilical cord, all the insight, all the eyes. And um, because of that, he kills some great ones and he ascends to become a great one himself. That's the way that I see who the moon presence is, what kind of the overarching plot of the game is altogether. And there's, like I said, there's a lot more lore in this game, lots more stories that I just couldn't talk about due to time, but I've already been rambling a long time, quite a bit longer than I kind of expected. So um, there's that. That's the story of Bloodborne. When I look back over it, I think, well, you know what? Actually, before I go into it, what do you think of that? Are you asleep over there, Nate? Did any of I'm that not, make sense not, to you? I'm not asleep, but... Uh, Did any I, of that make I, sense? I, it, I mean, it, it sort of, it helped sort of, I guess, draw some of the through lines, but I'm, I'm just going to maintain my sort of like... I've made previous statements about the incoherency of Bloodborne story. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, still, it's just, <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> it, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, there's a lot of weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of weird in there. Oh yeah, the whole thing is is filled to the brim with weirdness and uh yeah, to, to, awkward uh, yeah, just strange creepy 
unsettling things that are going left and right. Kind of yeah. some of the things as I as I like looked, you know, now that we've gone into the forest, uh, now to see the forest from the trees, you know, take a take a step back and uh, get kind of an overview. Uh, the big theme that I see throughout the game that that I see is like picked up on, um, and it's probably just because I'm a Christian, but it's the depravity of man in his thirst for power, right? So you see all these characters who are like, oh, we can become gods ourselves. And eventually yeah. that leads them down these paths. Like even though they had good intentions, like let's become better creatures, they're all super messed up. Like even Willem who... Maybe, you know, he's just like this old decrepit man who's just like staring at the water and trying to become at the same time, he was kind of complicit in like this this massacre of these other people. Um yeah. like and, and that's and that's like the best of the characters. All the other characters like Gearman is just like driven to depression and now he's like serving the moon presence who just wants to kill and kill and kill. And and then obviously School of Mensa is just super messed up. The choir is super messed up. The whole healing church. Like Lawrence, you know, he's like, no, let's do this. Let's, you know, ascend. Um, but he just massively, you know, because he's the one sending out the blood and starts these other factions that do all these messed up things. Like I just hmm. see it as like even, even well-intentioned, like you see how quickly um, – it reminds me of, you know, like that scene in Lord of the Rings, uh, the the first movie, like how it opens and how Isildur's like supposed to throw the ring into the fire. Cast it into the fire. And, and he's just like, Psh, no. He's like, get that. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that that's, yeah, that's definitely, um, I, c- I can see that like that theme jives in the sense that like, yeah. It's when when you pursue power and it becomes sort of like when that becomes sort of the bottom line, you mm-hmm. will do all sorts of atrocious things in order to yes. secure that. And yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. The the lesson for me is that uh it's a weird story. Um <laughs> Really good gameplay, uh, and uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's definitely interesting, but it's just like, like I said, to me the, the I get it a little bit more, and like it mm-hmm. definitely helps provide context for like, okay, like this is why these things exist. But if Maria, mm-hmm. if Maria slit her throat mm-hmm. or like cut her own throat or whatever. Who are you fighting in the clock tower? Because you can fight Maria in the clock tower. Right, because that is the hunter's nightmare. Uh, so that's okay. what they're they're destined to be a part of. So, she's the last one, like before you find out what had actually happened in the the fishing hamlet in that in that area, she's like okay. the last one you have to fight. Okay, so it's the 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 hunter's dream sort of thing, the hunter's nightmare. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's so freaking weird. It, yeah, super. So super it's like weird. almost like alternate dimension type stuff. Right, right. Yeah, and that, and that's the part that's just like it doesn't all jive because these different dimensions like exist at the same time in the same place sort of geographically and they layer on top of each other, but you can't see them necessarily unless you have the insight to see them. So, it, so it's weird, like... 
and well, and stuff is just super vague. It's sort of like almost like a quantum overlay, right? Yeah. So it's all happening, but it's all happening at like different frequencies. And That's true. Once you so you enter in the, the game starts with you entering into the contract, mm-hmm. um, and then you go out and you fight that beast and you die. And mm-hmm. when you die, that's almost like you're sort of stepping into you're stepping into the hunter's dream and all of yep. that and that. Mm. Yeah. So Gearman outfits you there. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I forgot I I forgot to mention that yeah, it is it is it's it's all kinds of crazy. So putting this together was difficult to to even just like iron out my own thoughts. Um, but Gearman was he had made uh like he trained hunters. He also made the um the different weapons that you have in the game. So the he's the one weapons, like outfitting yeah. yeah outfitting all the different hunters with the weapons, which is super cool. Also, I didn't even mention him because uh, again, it wasn't super pertinent to the story, but like after Gearman had become too old and he was one of the old hunters, the original hunters of Bergenworth, um, the the guy who headed up the hunters for the healing church, his name is Ludwig. So you see him throughout the game as well. Um, uh, so is, you get his sword. Yeah, he's the one that turns into the giant horse freak thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and Lawrence right. is like that that burning, uh, crazy looking creature. That's hmm. kind of how I thought that he was part of the burning Yarnum, was because like his his beast form is burning when you fight him. But, anyways, weird. It is. That's it's super freaking weird, weird. Yeah, yeah, Th- yeah. Final question: Did you get any of that when you played through the game yourself? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, like I definitely picked up on some of like the the story of like the church and the different mm-hmm. factions and stuff like that. But as to why there were sort of these different factions, or even like even sort of like what the old ones were, or like mm-hmm. what it. I mean, I don't know. Like I think you could have just as much like sort of pitched it as like there there were sort of these invaders and like we weren't trying to understand them. We're trying to like fight them off or whatever. And it's like and they're corrupting influence on humanity or whatever. Mm. Just weird. Yeah. Just weird. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy that a game this good could hide like all this stuff. Yeah, you can literally play through the game and not understand hardly any of it. Because like for me, my experience playing through the game, I wasn't really searching for lore. I found most of this on the internet and just put it together myself. Um, But for me, after you fight, you know, you defeat Mikalash and then you go to Murgo and you fight Murgo's wet nurse, that crazy sword wielding thing. um, Then it takes you back to the hunter's dream and it's on fire. And I'm just like, wait, this is the end of the game. Like what just happened? Like, I felt like there was more, it felt like it just kind of cut off at that point. And I'm like, yeah, what happened? I don't, I don't even know what's going on. Just, Cause I but had no context. Even in the bits and pieces that I was reading, there's just like so much weird stuff. Like if you manage to accrue 40 insight, mm-hmm. um, before you fight Rom, Rom. you can mm-hmm. sort of see, some of that but yeah how like yeah. rom was like suppressing like the influence of mm-hmm. uh, just it's so School weird us, yeah yeah so weird it, it is weird and part of that is like i don't understand why she was necessarily doing that except to like 
it seems like her whole thing is like, it needs to be personal. Like you have to personally do this for yourself. You can't do, you can't have other ones become great ones. You can't like share this knowledge. Otherwise people are going to go crazy. And so maybe she was hiding what Mensis was doing because they were trying to en masse turn into great ones. And so she's like, no one else can see this kind of a thing. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, at that point, that's kind of the point in the game where it changes from more of like a gothic horror feel to like this cosmic horror of just like, holy crap, there are these weird almond shaped head creatures everywhere and all well, I mean, but that's areas. like, that's like the very sort of like Lovecraftian sort of like mm-hmm. vibe where mm-hmm. it goes like, like it's like there's something just off enough about this reality that's unsettling to where it's like, um, then you just step in into like just like the alienness of everything, right? Yeah, man. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Backlog Breakdown. If you want to join in the conversation, you can email us at thebacklogbreakdown at gmail.com or join our Facebook group, The Backlog Book Club, on Facebook. And on Twitter, our handle is at bbdowncast. Of course, you can also catch Nate and I on our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and the GG app. I go by Broccolope, that's spelled B-R-O-C-C-O-L-O-P-E, and Nate goes by Nate underscore McKeever. Till next time, loggers, you keep beating down those backlogs, and we'll keep breaking down the benefits. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. No, no, that's not true. That, that's impossible. This is such an incredible moment. A memory that will bring joy to the hearts of millions of people for generations. Wait, wait, what? The sort of thing they talk about on the Retro Station podcast. The stories, movies, music, moments that brought us together as a people that we enjoyed with friends. You laugh about this with your friends? My life has been a lie! Exactly. This is wonderful. You're crazy! No, everyone agrees this is a truly classic moment. Wait, wait a minute. Did you kill Mom then? I... I'd I'd rather not talk about that. Oh, I I bet they talk about that on the retro station, huh? What a classic moment that was when Mom died. Actually, most people thought that was a bit of a letdown. They made memes making fun of it. They, They made memes of Mom? The Retro Station Podcast. Celebrating all those things that made us nerds.